Welcome to Savage Minds. I'm your host, Julian Vigo. Today's guest is Dr. Az Hakim, a top gender expert in the UK. He's a consultant psychiatrist and visiting professor in psychiatry and applied psychotherapy. He ran a specialist gender dysphoria service in the NHS at the Portman Clinic, where he worked for 12 years until 2012. Now he practices in the private sector at Harley Street. He's a senior clinical lecturer at the University of New South Wales, Australia. In 2011, Hakim was awarded a fellowship to the Royal College of Psychiatrists in recognition of his contribution to psychiatry and specialist psychotherapy. In 2017, Dr. Hakim became part of the Shah Mind Foundation, for whom he is a founder, professional patron, and ambassador. In 2019, Dr. Hakim was appointed as Honorary Associate Clinical Professor at University College London Medical School. Hakim is also co-author and editor of Trance, Exploring Gender Identity and Gender Dysphoria, published in 2018. I welcome Dr. Az Hakim to Savage Minds. I am so excited to speak with you again after our first discussion that we had the spring of 2013 when I was just starting to work on my first article over what was then the gender identity v feminist war conflict, whatever. But the article yep. was quite fairly balanced. And I worked on the issues of what gender identity meant then yep. and its conflicts with women and children's rights. And when we spoke over nine years ago, you mentioned a conference on transgenderism that you were to attend in London in 2011 entitled Transgender Time to Change that was canceled due in part to the accusation that you pathologize trans people. And I asked you about this. What was then for many of us, the infancy of transgender activism, the, the sort that you and I are seeing now in full avalanche. And I asked you about what was going on. You told me, I'm quoting you, much of the politicization in the trans community is run by a minority. It is partly based on this adversarial for or against business. Recently in Australia, I was invited to speak and there was such a fuss about my coming as happened two years ago in London, but I was allowed to present my work and in the end, it didn't match up to their expectations. When someone bothers to talk to me, they realize I'm not what they expected. Well, that was nine years ago, over nine years ago. How would you measure up your words from 2013 to today, because the panorama of this activism has changed dramatically, has it not? It's, it's amplified, it's got out of control. And there are, if you, if you look at um, on social media, there's all this virtue signaling. And I'm thinking now about MPs uh, and most of them don't, aren't really clued up. And I'm thinking of, you know, all those photos of all these politicians where, uh, um, holding a banner saying um, conversion, a ban on conversion therapy should include trans. And this is a very British thing because there's a, there's a, there's a, a bill that's going to be discussed in Parliament as to um, they want to put a ban on conversion therapy. And, and no one does conversion therapy. They mean trying to convert people's sexuality. But Stone have, have lobbied for this to include uh trans and it's a it's a trojan horse whereby the activists are trying to get this in so that nobody would be able to see any psychologist or therapist or psychiatrist um, and have their new onset gender identity questioned 
So you wouldn't be able to say, oh, for the past two weeks, you've thought you're a man. Oh, right, and you're 50. Um, why is that? You wouldn't, be able to, you wouldn't be able to challenge that because that would be considered conversion therapy, which would be ridiculous because, you know, if you're a, if you're a, a parent and your young child suddenly comes home and says, I want to have a sex change, you'd hope that somewhere along the line they might see a professional, might see, oh, really, why? Why, why do you think that? Anyway, so, so, so now you get all these, these virtue-signaling politicians holding up banners saying um, conversion therapy bans should include the trans, uh, you know, trans. And I'm thinking, it reminds me of when they all used to wear those T-shirts saying this is what a feminist looks like, only to find out later that those, those T-shirts were being made by sweat, in sweatshops in the, in the Far East. Um, so there's a lot of um, not knowing, lack of knowledge, misinformation, which is then um, paraded around in this lack of thinking space where people become really highly charged and have an opinion on it when they don't really seem to know what they're talking about. But when they do talk to any of us who would call ourselves gender critical, they seem to, to, to understand where we're coming from. We seem to make sense. We don't seem to be these ridiculous um, highly opinionated evil people, trans activists think we are, we're reasonable, thoughtful, level-headed people who are concerned about the lack of thinking that there is going on. So I think to the short version of, of the answer to your question is nothing much has changed, it's just got worse and more amplified than what it was before, with more people doing it. Yes, and I guess our end of it, the criticism of what is gender identity, what is this move to cite children in the crosshairs um, has also become more politicized in the sense of I met Stephanie Davies Arai, for instance, when she was just starting out her work on transgender trend. And I, too, was new to this. And more and more people because of her work and many others are aware of what's happening with children. And the absurdity, I'm sure you caught that with Pink News a few weeks ago, running the piece about the two gay men that are suing their fertility clinic because they got their surrogate pregnant with a girl, okay? Now, this is quite ironic from Pink News, which runs piece after piece about how sex is assigned at birth, how there's no such thing as sex, that that's transphobic, cis heteronormative, bloody, bloody, blah. And they got smashed on Twitter when this came out because everyone was ironizing. Well, how can you say that? Just identify the girl as a boy and it's problem solved, right? So you have this bad faith media enterprise that has pushed this. And my argument is that the media has in, in many ways more of a hand in promoting gender identity than any medical doctor who might be pink haired, lopsided haircut, if you catch my drift. I think that the media has had a huge push in this and in getting a lot of kudos in the meantime, because when I ran my first article on Savage Minds, in fact, was exactly about the way that The Guardian was given quarter of a million dollars to run articles specifically on transgender identity. So we know that the information we have, especially during lockdown, people are glued into this matrix of their screen and what information they're given is sort of their worldview. And so, you know, my initial meeting with you nine years ago, we did it by phone still, but that was about a kind of cultural push by a few activists that has now become so blown out of proportion that the University of Pennsylvania just recently nominated that swimmer 
<laughs> to receive a premium award intended for women, sports women and swimmers. So we're seeing that Leah Thomas is now not only in a very social politesse way being accepted as a trans woman. No, it's gone way beyond that. And this is back to where you and I spoke that this has gone to where these men want to see themselves not as trans women anymore, as it were in the 70s and 80s and maybe early 90s, but it's gone full out to no trans is offensive. Those, uh, I'm, not, I'm not trans, I'm a real woman. Now, if you want to talk about the real women, they've assigned us, people like me, uterus carriers. We are cis women, right? So they've sort of reversed the naturalization of what things are in biology. And we are now cis women and they are the true women. It's almost like you're Mark 1 and they're Mark 2. <laughs> you're the old model with, 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 and they've got better features because they've got more strength, more power and all that sort of stuff. So. <laughs> Pretty much. When you were saying cultural shift, I, th I was thinking you could just chop off half the word and make it into a cult because, you know, I, I think we used to think that religion was dead, but it's not because gender ideology it is a cult. And it's because um, it's a set of beliefs that not, aren't really grounded in reality at all, but people, people have bought into it. And um, uh, some years ago, I was on a um, specialist panel um, there was a parliamentary briefing um, thinking about um, uh, satanic cults and child ritual abuse. Um, and lots of people don't like to think of this existing because they say, oh, Satan doesn't exist. Well, whether or not you believe in Satan, it doesn't, it doesn't mean you, you, the satanic cults don't exist. I mean, you know, there's a big link with satanic cults and child ritual abuse. So I, it was a fascinating day where you were hearing all these things. And what became evident was that the the satanic cult members had infiltrated every echelon of society. So that's how people kept getting away with it. Um, or, or after. And in a way, the same thing has happened with gender ideologists. I mean, the cult members have infiltrated everywhere and the media and schools and colleges and um, universities and government. And so it's this, this epidemic of desperately trying to have everything LGBTQI, non-binary and trans um, is rife. So uh, the absurdity is, this, has become like this voracious appetite cult, which is unstoppable. And I was reading somewhere today that, you know, the backlash on Twitter from some restaurant where they were proudly saying that because we have trans and non-binary customers, we're having unisex toilets. And the backlash from women were saying, hang on, <laughs> what about all the women? It's like, and I was thinking, gosh, what is a non-binary person? They're just sort of, it's like, and it's, it, 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 it's lost contact with reality. The, 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 the gender ideology, if you actually believe it, I mean, in the UK, the, 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 the government, the, the government departments, which are trying to encourage civil servants to learn a hundred different genders. I mean, what genders? <laughs> it's absurd, you know? Well, yeah. it's also the way that we are cast. I'll give you two examples here. Duke University Press has just come out with yet a new publication it's their TSQ, Transgender Studies Quarterly. August 2022 will be released Trans Exclusionary Feminisms and the Global New Right, edited by Serena Bassi and Greta Lafleur. Okay, we are slurred as far right 
And as Duke, I can't wait to read this, the new global far right, right? So how is it that being able to put our finger on material reality is somehow considered anathema to their project of self-identity. And I'd take this a little further. I'm going to mention back to our talk nine and a half years ago, where you told me something that has stuck in my head. I put it in the article, but it was so beautiful what you said that it is stuck in my head forever. The notion of innate gender is what this trans lobby is trying to advance. Basically that sex is between your ears, gender is between your legs. They have exactly reversed what is the somatic sector of sex and the sociological cultural sector of gender. And anyone who questions this is a transphobe and trying to attempt to murder them, et cetera, et cetera. But you told me then that the aim of therapy was to make your patient's aims more realistic, adding, it is more accurate for them to be trans men or trans women rather than to be men or women. But then you noted that there were patients at the time who would say, but I want to be a woman, not a trans woman. And you told me this, the problem I perceive people having is that you cannot tell me how I experience you. It is like me telling you that this cold water is warm. You can't legislate that, you can't control that. But if in my mind, I don't experience you as a woman, you can't tell me to, and I can go along with something, but you can't change my internal thinking on this matter. And here we are today, just 10 days after the Macy Gray incident, which mirrors exactly what you were saying. She was hammered because not only was she polite and saying, if you want me to use she, I will, but that won't change my thinking on the matter. I still think you're a man. And it's precisely this dynamic that has taken place in our cultures, in the Anglophone world especially, where I, as, as a woman, am expected to compete against men in sports, address these men as she, have them in my shelter, in my prison spaces, and all because they have upheld a very regressive stereotype, something most women regard as anathema to our human rights, as their true core identity. What in the hell has gone on? And is psychiatry and psychology taking a part in this? Well, I would say that, that psychiatry has, and psychology, has disowned and distanced themselves from anything to do with gender. And they've outsourced it to a very small group of individuals who choose to work in it, who tend to be very, um, quite aligned with the, with the activists. And so most psychiatrists think that this is all completely bonkers, but they don't, they just go along with whatever they're told. They're more interested in treating depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, you know. Um, but it's just these few clinicians that will just send these people to. And so as soon as people get sent to gender clinicians, they, they sort of lose everything else that they have. And they are just seen by these clinicians who are very signed up to this ideology. Um, the, yeah, the, 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 in terms of the, um, what everyone's thinking, I mean, the, I've always said that there's a massive correlation with being on the autistic spectrum and uh, gender dysphoria because it's a very black and white way of thinking. You know, I, I don't what I perceive a man is, therefore I should be a woman or a woman to a man, vice versa. And the whole point of an autistic mindset is you struggle to envisage accurately what is happening in the mind of the other person. So you think that if you're following these very black and white rules, I've got long hair, I've got a dress, I've got a woman's name, therefore I will be perceived as a woman, 
there isn't really the capacity to envisage that the other person might not think that you're a woman, that the, this theory of mind is lacking. So they don't, they don't really gauge that. And, and they're, they're very sort of, because they're very black and white, they love the law. And so they legislate, legislate, legislate. So if you can, like, like, like I said to you last time, you can legislate for absolutely anything, but you can't legislate for how you think. Although in, in Scotland, in the UK, if, um, if at the dinner table, your parents have a discussion where it's clear that they are a bit gender critical and blah blah then you can report them, I think. <laughs> so, so it's almost police, um, but we're not quite there. But I just think that people aren't allowed to think about it. I teach medical students, and when I teach them about gender, um, they they end up saying, oh my God, I, I had no idea you were allowed to think like that. I said, what, what do you mean? You're a scientist, you're meant to think rationally. They said, oh no, we, we thought we're not allowed. So, so people are being encouraged not to think. They're being encouraged to believe certain things that aren't based in science and reality. Uh, and that's a bit worrying because I, I, when I started working in this field, I, I, the, my first question was, if someone believes that they're the opposite sex, are they, uh, uh, is, is this a form of madness? And I, 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 I then said, well, it's not really because it's more of a, um, an erroneous data processing error in a form of, of an autistic mindset. It's a bit like me and my sort of higher maths, when I, 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 which I was hopeless at. And I'd always make one computational error, which would lead me a million miles off to where I was meant to be. And so you could see that with these people, but the rather than the, 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 the madness being located in the person, I think the madness is located in us because we're then forced to comply with something that we know is slightly absurd and doesn't make any sense. And if you, if you on your hundredth birthday, decide that you're a man and you change your passport and driving license and your birth certificate to say that you were born a man, I mean, you've you've eradicated history. You 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 you've you've said that you were never even born a woman. You've you've you know it's a bit like saying, well, you know, the Holocaust wasn't very nice. Can we just erase it out of history and pretend it never happened? So the fact that we're able to change documents of whether someone was born something or not because years later they decided they didn't like it is 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 a bit strange. One about why is I mean I, I, you know this isn't a concrete idea I was, I was literally thinking this yesterday I was thinking why are all these people just giving up on reality and I was thinking is it something about uh, for young people today where they're they're living in a world which they feel they either can't manage to exist or fit in or can't afford to live in you know this cost of living thing children you know, young people feel they can never buy somewhere so they buy anything buy anything they're all renting everything is it that they they psychologically escape from reality to exist in virtual non-reality because all the all the all the gender um, uh, extremists on Twitter they all have they all have avatars they don't have real names or faces they have they exist as avatars and are we moving away from a real world for these young people to live in this sort of avatar world where you can make make up reality a bit like being in Tron, where you go into the computer game as, a, as a, an escape from life. So who cares if there's biology? You can just pretend the biology's been superseded by something else. You know, we'd be getting rid of gravity next because that's a bit dull, I'd rather float. So it, it's, the escape from reality, I think, is, is at the core. Let's start from the beginning. John Money, 1950s, right? We had the birth of gender identity there. Yeah. And even the notion of gender, which has been bastardized in the sense of Simone de Beauvoir 
and you see a lot of trans activists saying, but she wrote about this back in the 1940s. She said, one is not born a woman, one becomes a woman, a complete bastardization, it actually infuriates me, of what she said, because her, her terms were clear, that girls are socialized into becoming women, that's it. And it's something of a truism, because women know this. I have in my life as a person growing from girlhood to adolescence to adulthood, I have had to learn to find my own voice where a lot of times, and I don't want to generalize because there are men and boys who are not socialized in this way because of personal, communal, familial experiences and uh, situations. But in general, we are not raised to speak out and say, hey, you can't do that. This is part of the problem as to how girls are even targeted in many ways by predators because look at the recent situation in England with child predation and the fact that even myself as a, as a young girl you're taught not to say no to this even though someone is asking you to do something that is as an adult you realize oh my god I can't believe they asked me to do that but as a child there's a certain kind of naturalization that takes place that you're just oh I guess that's where I go you know that's what is being asked of me now I mention this because I find that what happened in the 1950s, and it's not a coincidence, the 1950s was the height of a certain type of misogyny and sexism in the US. And I say this because women were being put back into the home after having liberation from the factory. Women were at high rates in the 1950s becoming alcoholics and Valium addicts because they could not cope with no longer having that freedom while their husband was over in England or France fighting the war. They were now back in the home, having to sort of fit back into this box from which they had escaped. This is when gender became a thing. From the 1950s, we have gender somehow being formulized that no one in the US even knew what gender was in that sense of a medicalization, a prognosis. You have Christina Jorgensen skip to the 60s and 70s when, oh, there's Renee Richards and oh, a few people, a few biopic movies, what we call in the United States, ABC movie of the week, starring Stephanie Powers, really trashy movies that might have a biopic of that person like Renee Richards and that happened. The idea of gender was still something that was out of the everyday linguistic use of people. You always talked about changing sex and sex changes and transsexuals. It was never about gender. Exactly. But gender jumped in in the late 80s and early 90s with what many people call queer theory. But this also happened at the behest of some scholars, some really good scholars like Thomas Lecure, The Making of Sex. He looked at how sex became more developed in terms of scientific veracity from the one sex model to the two sex model. But he looks at this historically. That theory, some of the theories he produced in that book became co-opted along with some of Donna Haraway's theories in terms of gender. That gender is something that is actually inherent, that everyone can access gender even if it doesn't quote unquote match their sex and we've seen it all on twitter i think you could have a university of gender just being on twitter for a full week this is where i have a huge questions for you because we see how the shark has been jumped since you and i spoke nine years ago 
And I attribute a lot of this, not just to John Money's fiasco of what he did with the Raymer boy and the construction of the John Hopkins Gender Clinic, which was then shut down in 1979 because John Hopkins itself said categorically, this is not helping anyone. We actually can't find positive results for what we're doing. It closed its doors in 1979 and money went on to make another career for himself outside of John Hopkins working in the field of gender. Now here we have the DSM five that was changed in 2013. What was previously called gender identity disorder was renamed as gender dysphoria. Would this be happening had it at the rate of what has happened, what you mentioned, a lot of these Japanese anime figures that figure onto a lot of these trans identified people's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook accounts. Has the internet sped this up and made something that in person we would never believe? Because I would have a hard time seeing Leah Thomas in person and saying, oh, this is a woman. I would have a hard time seeing a lot of people, even Bradley Manning, who is a short man. I would have a hard time not noticing that he was a man. And I go back to your comparison to one's hand being put into cold water. The reality is that I can tell when someone's a man or a woman quite easily, even if they're a short, small-handed man, even if they're a tall, large-handed woman. Has the internet, the, not just the use of anime, but has the internet sped up the politicization of the entirely unbelievable i mean it has to have done i mean i mean in terms of in terms of what you see what you don't see and then the the voice of the mob that, that follows it so in social media so on, on twitter there's always you know i have i have a big gender critical following and i follow lots of gender critical people and they're forever saying that things keep getting disappearing or, or their likes keep getting unliked or their the, the, the most well-known one is that if you if you if you try and like lots of J.K. Rowling's uh, uh, posts, then your likes disappear, and that's a, quite a common one. Um, so there's there's some there, there is some level of things being slightly controlled as to what what is evident and what is not. Um, what 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 big media chooses to portray and how? I mean this this um, this need for over forever inclusiveness and diversity means that the the people in British television now that you see don't represent normal society at all um, so there's what we're exposed to what we see and then there's the the comments afterwards on, on, on social media posts and you know one one is seen to be a certain way and so I, I think it's got to have been and also what you know what what people are uh, are seeing and, and being drawn into. So it's got to have had a, a play in it, really, as with everything else, really. Are there no studies looking at this? This is one of the things that strikes me, because I'll always start at John Money for the critical reason that that was the epicenter of sexism of the 20th century. There was no other time in the 20th century. I mean, we can talk about voting rights pre-women's ability to vote, but in terms of really regressive stereotypes, the 1950s seems to be this epicenter where at least women, when they couldn't vote in the early 20th century, were allowed to be seen in trousers. Yes, Coco Chanel was pelted with stones for so doing, but women in the countryside could wear trousers. There were things that women were still allowed to do 
where in the 1950s, super femininity was heralded. It was everywhere. And I'm not just thinking Douglas Sirk films, I'm thinking all films. You had very few representations of women that did not fit into this extremely tight stereotype of femininity. And from there, we see this notion that somehow, skip 50, 60 years over, where if I don't want a man in my prison space, I'm a transphobe, I'm phobic of something about him. And there seems to be this disconnect as to why we had separate loos, separate changing rooms, separate prisons, et cetera, et cetera, in the first place. If you're a lesbian who just wants to date a woman with a penis, then you need to get over your gentle bigotry. You know, we've gone full circle trying to persuade lesbians to have sex with men to trying to persuade lesbians to have sex with men again. Right. And, it's the, and it was the people that were fighting for that, Stonewall, that are now doing it. They're becoming the perpetrators again. It's the most ironic of gestures that the very organisation in the UK that was established during the height of AIDS, of course, but was established to secure the rights of gay men and women, now has become the most homophobic organization because that is it. When you started off with this idea of conversion therapy, well, there's a problem with conversion therapy. Which one? Because the minute you convince a young lesbian that they're really a man or a young gay man that he's really a woman, you've committed one type of conversion therapy. And a lot of gay men and women, like myself, we have been saying this for years, that transgender ideology is stealth homophobia. Now, of course, we're called transphobes, so it's one stick for another stick. But there's a problem here. Back in the day, you'll read a lot of the arguments from the DSM and against the DSM. A lot of these activists will say, well, wait a second. The DSM is what has stigmatized us in the first place. We shouldn't be stigmatized. We were stigmatized in ways that you homosexuals were once upon a time placed in the DSM. Homosexuality was once considered a mental illness, but there's a difference as I at no time in my life pranced down the street with my girlfriend and said, you have to see me with a man. Okay, we good. I never insisted that people see me as a heterosexual. Never. And I never insisted that people see me as anything. And the, the thing about this movement is that we've gone from the one in a billion cases or the one in a million cases that we might as a child see the only man in a dress that we see as a man in a dress because we're seven years old, don't understand anything about gender, much less gender identity. That has become a much more common statistic. And what was social politesse of, let's say, the 80s and 90s, and not amongst everyone, but people saying she or girlfriend, because in the gay male community, girlfriend was used amongst gay men as a kind of sarcastic twist of playing with words that many lesbians and feminists deem quite misogynist. But this politesse was used once upon a time, and many today say, I will never do that again. I will not be like Macy Gray saying, I will call you she if you want me to, because they view that their participation in this theater has led to where we are today, where we have to say that lesbians don't have penises. I mean, did you ever think you'd have to say lesbians don't have penises? <laughs> but, this, but that was my point about whether people are able to think critically or whether they just swallow what they're given. The, and I think one of the things that I um, go on about is the fact that this notion of trans and transgender is 
an umbrella term for lots of very different distinct things. So if before we started calling everything trans, we had what we used to call true transsexuals, we had transvestites, we had fetishistic transvestites, and we had um, autogynophiles. Now, these are all labelled and lumped under the one um, umbrella of trans. So there's a big difference between someone who would formerly be called true transsexual, who I would estimate the majority of which are somewhere on the autistic spectrum disorder, which may be so mild that they may have only just reached a, what used to be called Asperger's. But, you know, they, but if you look at the, my cohort of patients who were like, who within that category, they, they would, would all meet that criteria. The, then the, 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 with very rigid black and white thinking, the, the, the other ones which were less autistic thinking were the, were the ones which weren't what would formerly be called too transsexual, but would be transvestites and, trans, and fetishistic transvestites or autogynophiles. And the more sexuality based it is, the far less autistic it is, um, and the more extremely autistic it is, the less sexually interested they are anyway. So, the, but now there's no distinction between a man who gets excited about, oh, for example, in my book, um, the trans, on my chapter on transvestism, I talk about 11 different subtypes of transvestites. So apart from the, the, the transsexuals being different from the transvestites, within the transvestites, there are 11 different types, which are all different, and the autogynophiles. But there's one component subgroup of transvestites are the ones who want who, who don't really want to be convincing as, as as women but like to occupy female spaces and be a sort of a um a bad transvestite that's obvious and there's something he may normally feel an emasculated not quite good enough man but if he looks like a bad transvestite the fact that people jeer and point to him shouting he's a man can be quite masculine it can be quite sort of you know empowering and then to sort of um to triumph over 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 women by going to their spaces, uh, achieving an erection, and and legally being able to get away with it because because the law allows you. That's very different from someone who would formerly be called true transsexual. But because of calling them all trans now, it opens the floodgates for all sorts of things. And then all these naive people who don't really know say, "Oh, but you know this this never happens. That you never get these." people who, who are misusing female spaces. When I worked in Broadmoor, the, 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 the prevalence of um, uh, trans um, uh, patients, and Broadmoor is a high secure hospital, forensic hospital. Um, uh, so, so it's for the most challenging, um, it's a it's for a high secure prison, but in a hospital forensic patients. The, the prevalence of trans people in that, in that uh, institution was hugely great in the prevalence outside so you can't say there isn't it never happens and these the, the you know um so you are opening up all these all, all, all these potential problems and it's not just um harmless woke um you know what's the problem um so that's my concern so so yeah nobody talks about transvestites anymore transvestites haven't disappeared they're still there but they're just being called trans as is everyone Trans, but they're all very different so um you know i've had people who sort of cross dresses who decide to go into work cross dress they don't want to be a woman they just like cross dressing but because they're presumed to be trans and everything everything trans is the same then that's encouraged and i think well hmm, well nudists don't go to work 
in the nude, you know, because they might get excited by that. It's, it's, so it's it's strange. It's 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 a it's a it's a catch-all which is messy, heterogeneous, full of lots of disparate things, uh, with lots of underlying differences. I interviewed Ray Blanchard last year. He came on the show and we spoke about autogonophilia, and he was saying that as over the years homosexuality became more accepted the rates of because he distinguished the two groups of one being autogonophiles and the other being largely gay men mm. who were not coming to terms with their sexuality but he says that group of gay men in refusal of their sexual of their homosexuality was pretty much disappearing mm. and that the majority of the men who identify as transgender were in fact autogonophiles have you found this? I um, have a distinct group of patients who I would definitely call autogynophiles. And the ones that are most definitely autogynophiles are the ones who you see when it's too late. So the ones who have spent ages masturbating furiously at the fantasy of having vagina and breasts, who then think that must mean I should be a woman, who then say to their doctor, I need to have a sex change. The doctor says, well, there's a two year wait. So they say, fine, I'm going to go on a plane to Bangkok and get a vagina fitted. And then they wake up going, shit, I don't want my vagina. Because the first thing that happens when you have a vagina fitted with a man is you get castrated. And when you're castrated, you have no libido. So if your sexually driven fancy of having a vagina goes, because you've got no libido, you wake up with this unwanted vagina. And I've had, I've had a number of patients who've done that, who've, who've, who've said, hello, can I have therapy because... I'm now in a state of utter depression because I've castrated myself for no reason. So those people are definitely what's going to fall because they, their libidinal drive disappeared and their wish for it went. And I've got other people who um, I think would be autogynophilic who were actually transvestites, but then they, they sort of get carried away with how excited they feel occupying those women's spaces. They never really felt they were a woman, but they loved the, the, the cross-dressing. And because everything is now trans and they, they, they're, they're, their understanding is everything trans means you, sh you, sh you should chop bits off and have hormones. Um, and people are sort of led to believe it's like a lifestyle choice now. Um, they, they, they look to doing that. So there's, I think there's a, there's a definite population of them. I don't think they're all autogynophiles. I think there's, there's, there's a proportion who are. I think the proportion who aren't, who don't really have an erotic libidinal sexuality, as other people might, are on the spectrum. And I don't think they are autogynophiles. And the, and the, the spectrum ones um, are more in terms of having a very limited repertoire of what it is to be a man or woman. For example, I, talk, I spoke to someone this week and, and, he's, and, he, and I was trying to sort of, I encouraged my, my patients to be a bit more creative and subversive. I was a very subversive teenager and I probably looked like a transvestite at the best of times, but I was a goth. Um, but the, and this, this young man said, um, well, you know, if, if, you know, most men have short hair and wear suits. And I said, no, they don't. <laughs> most of them, I said, if only I love suits, if only most of them, I said, I'm, I, I, I love wearing suits, but I didn't know. So the idea that I think, gosh, he actually thinks that this is what men are. And, but the idea for him, long, having long hair wouldn't be allowed. And I said, well, there's no men who have long hair. So it's expanding their very limited repertoire of what male and female is, is, uh, can be. And that anything they do is male if they're male or female if they're male. It doesn't mean that they're, they're 
because it's very autistic to have a set of rules and be rigidly adherent to rules. And if things don't fit in with the rules, then something must be wrong. And it's a great cause of distress. And the the other manifestation of the of the spec of the autistic spectrum brain is that of autistic meltdown. So those, if you've ever seen that wonderful play uh, or read the book, The Curious Instance of the Dog of the Night, which is a wonderful portrayal of autism with a child, you'll, or if you've, if you've worked with autism, you'll know that you know with children, if their fish fingers are touching their peas or there's ketchup or something, then they have this apoplectic rage and they have a meltdown. It's called autistic meltdown. And it's like a, it's like a nuclear um, sort of explosion of emotions that's not just being upset, but it's proper meltdown upset. So fast forward to adult life and you're on the spectrum and you think you're not really uh, a normal man, therefore you should be a woman and you have long hair and lipstick and um, an address, therefore you're a woman, therefore everybody should see you as a woman. And um, you've made all these rules so that everything can be fine, but then somebody doesn't seem to agree with you and is gender critical, then you have an autistic meltdown. So, you know, I've, I've seen lots of protests, usually anywhere that says a conference about gender. And if you look at the arguments, well, there aren't any arguments. If you look at the protesters, the only things they say is trans women and women, <laughs> or, you know, F the turfs or kill turfs. There's no actual constructive um, debate, argument. But it's just, believe me or I'll shout at you, which is very autistic. It's, it's very, you have to agree with me on having a tantrum. You know, it's, it's, it's autistic meltdowns. So if you see some video clips of, of protests where, where the, 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 the activists are literally approaching people in their faces and screaming at them, which is what happens with an autistic meltdown child. It's, it's as if, if you don't believe me, I will just scream and scream and scream and scream, like Pippi Longstockings, um, until you believe me. And that's not, we all know that's not a way of winning arguments. You don't go, oh, okay, you're screaming at me so much, I'll believe you. You might step, step down and say, okay, I'll pretend that I believe you just to give myself less of a hard life, um, like maybe a certain famous pop singer did recently. Um, so it goes back to what we really believe and what we will humour you with if you make our lives hell. You're listening to Savage Minds, and we hope you're enjoying the show. Please consider subscribing. We don't accept any money from corporate or commercial sponsors, and we depend upon listeners and readers just like you. Now, back to our show. This is part of what I find curious here, because as a psychiatrist, I don't know what kind of patients you've dealt with, but let me throw out a few ideas here because I do make this comparison sometimes. I don't imagine that the NHS is full of psychiatrists telling kleptomaniacs that they'll get a visa gold on the NHS so that they can go and just spend away to take care of their issue, right? I use this example because I have always come back to this point of how do we get here that this seems to be the one pathology, the one single pathology where society at large is expected to go along, wink, wink. Yeah, I mean, as, and as a psychiatrist, most of our time is spent with people who are suicidally depressed telling us they're totally convinced that, that their life would be better if they were dead. 
We don't try and convince them otherwise. How is it then that this has been ushered forth into this kind of social and political politesse where now, as you know from self-ID, a man can, and it does, he doesn't even have to be 50. I would argue that even a 16-year-old saying, I identify as a woman, it is incumbent upon this person to understand the socio-political statement that he has just uttered. Because what does that mean? I'm going to say this until the day I die because I do not understand what that means to feel like a woman. And I've had three children. It's not a feeling state. Feeling states are happy, sad, irritated, annoyed. Woman isn't a feeling state. It's, a, it's like saying, I feel, I feel like it's Saturday. It's a belief. It's not a feeling state. You can't feel like Saturday. It's, you can't feel like a woman. If you have a belief that's incorrect, it's either delusional or an invalid idea. And, you, and uh, so why has it happened? I think it's a, it's a composite of um, various things which are compounded by a denial of direct responsibility. So what I mean, so on the one hand, you've got surgeons who are, and I, you know, I started my young sort of junior doctor days in plastic surgery, I was helping do these operations. And you've got surgeons who are amazing technicians and craftsmen who are doing something and they don't have to worry about whether what they're doing makes sense or not. They just have to worry about doing a good job. So the, the surgeons are doing something um, where they are divorced from having to think about what's happening in their head, the, the, the patient's head. The psychiatrist, the general psychiatrist is saying, well, this is a gender thing. We don't get involved in this. We'll just uh, divert this to a gender clinic. The gender clinic is saying, well, um, the patient wants this. The surgeon's happy to do it. The patient keeps telling us they want it. So we'll say yes. And then the endocrinologist said, well, say, well, we'll give them hormones because the psychiatrists are okay with it, the surgeons are okay with it, the patients are okay. So there's a denial of direct responsibility. There's, it's always someone else hopefully is taking responsibility or they're just doing their component bit. You know, the body bit is separated from the mind bit is separated from the hormone bit. Uh, and then that's in a mix of uh, a socio-political trajectory where you've got the activists who um you know being you know the the, the 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 a lot of the gen people being on the spectrum being very sort of um argumentative and um getting their way and you know lobbying and shouting and so they managed to get a various legislation done then there, there's this stonewall who um uh once they'd achieved everything they wanted to, treat, to achieve in terms of gay marriage and stuff in the UK, they didn't have anything else to do. So they had a meeting and they said, well, let's, let's take over gender ideology as our new mission. Didn't have the decency to tell anyone that they had a change of plan. So everyone just presumes they're still about sexuality. They still get invited to all these various things, but then now they infiltrate it with their new ideology. So, and it infiltrates into all the levels of everything and gets promoted. So, so that's how we, how we get to where we are. It's, it's the, it's the it's the mix of denial of a direct responsibility between clinicians propagate fueled by the social cultural changes that are happening around it um and we find ourselves in never never land i would add to that capitalism let me tell you the other day i wrote a piece about conversion therapy the sort that macy gray was put through where she had to convert her mind and i talked about this as the conversion therapy no one is mentioning and what I said, when I posted in LinkedIn, I got a suggestion. Do you want to join LGBTQ plus advertising media and marketing group? I said, okay, now this is from the group. I'm reading it to you now. 
Now that hashtag Pride Month is officially over, one of the hot topics of 2022 is what are organizations, large and small, doing to maintain their marketing outreach to the LGBTQ plus community outside of June. What is your company doing to keep that message alive as we enter July and the rest of 2022? You know that a lot of people don't know the difference between trans and gay, by the way, right? So they just think we're all one thing. We're just amorphous. And all throughout this, I started to read through the thread. We've got pictures of a lot of now these women who have transitioned, having had mastectomies. And I'm thinking, these are people who consider themselves on the left of center, a lot of these folks, lots of them, almost all of them. And this has been pushed almost exclusively by the left in certain countries like the US. So what is going on? Again, jumping back to John Money, thinking that it was a good idea to just raise a child who had a botched circumcision as a girl. And it wasn't like men didn't come back from war having lost their penis and testicles. This wasn't like the first boy to have had an accident, right? But that was somehow the quote unquote solution to the problem, which ended in David Reimer's tragic suicide. This seems to have been a moment of Frankensteinism allowed within the medical community at the height again of where shock therapy was being used to treat homosexuality to treat depression, to treat various schizophrenic disorders. Okay. How is it that in the fields of psychiatry and psychology, we are not seeing a lot of you guys, I mean, you're speaking out and you've suffered because of your speaking out, but a lot of your colleagues are not. Isn't it time that there's an open letter saying, what the hell is going on? We need to stop this. We, we need to put the kibosh on men claiming that they're women and that being ushered forth into law where their entire history is erased. There are cases in the US where they're not even finding out that these men were child sexual predators and they've transitioned quote unquote to being quote unquote sick women just to escape prosecution for pedophilia, okay? And I am, again, I'm left of center. I am not one that thinks a man that puts on a dress is a pedophile, no. I'm just speaking about specific cases here. And I, I would add to this the verboten nature of mental illness. Now, I've written a lot on the anti-psychiatry movement, starting with Franco Basaglia in Italy, back in the 1950s, where you had Legge 180, Law 180 in Italy, which was known as Basaglia Law, which ended the practice of involuntary confinement in mental asylums. And Italy became this beacon on the horizon for other countries in the European community to stop those practices as well. In Great Britain, you had R.D. Lang, you had Michel Foucault in France, you had Thomas Sage in the United States, Irving Goffman as well in Canada. These thinkers that critiqued the legal powers conferred upon psychiatrists to detain and treat individuals with mental health issues as criminals or to confine them as criminals. Now, that was then. Things have gotten a lot better in terms of involuntary confinement. However, the lobby that claims that I am just like them because once upon a time homosexuality was also in the DSM seems to want to have it both ways. And that both ways depends on what country you're standing in. 
If you're in the US, you do not want transgender anything, whether it's called gender dysphoria or gender identity disorder, to be declassified from the DSM because the moment that happens, healthcare providers, insurance companies are no longer responsible for covering it. Paradoxically, in countries like Canada, Australia, the UK, where you have socialized medicine, people are fighting to have this removed with the hopes that somehow the Royal College of Medicine will still cover it and say, yeah, you're good, you're covered, even if it were to be declassified. And there's a paradox here as where if someone is willing to have their breasts amputated, to have their penis and testicles removed, there seems to be something a bit adrift in terms of logic. How can we argue at the same time that this is not a mental health issue and that it is? Well, there's there's a you know a huge proportion of psychiatrists, psychologists, psychotherapists are all gender critical. They may even know what the term is, but you know if I talk to them, they they're, they're based in reality. And um, there's a there's a there's a there's a growing number of us now in the UK, and the, 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 I'm part of the clinical advisory network for sex and gender, who are a group of clinicians. GPs, psychiatrists, psychologists, therapists, who are all very concerned about um, gender ideology versus reality, and especially how children with gender dysphoria are being put on a trajectory of hormones and surgery. And we're an ever-increasing number of group, and we're, we're, we are being, we're acting as an advisory network to organizations or government or politicians in order to be able to help them think about it. And I think, you know, we tried to, for example, you know, our own College of Psychiatrists in the UK, um, we tried to have a conversation with them about gender dysphoria and, and gender ideology. They weren't really interested in listening to us and they, they, they come out with statements. So the, the World College of Psychiatrists come out with statements and a position on, on this, but they haven't canvassed any of the members. It's just, you know, the, a, 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 a small number within the management of the organisation that come up with a stance on, on, on this, which is, is meant to be reflective of all psychiatrists in the UK, members and fellows. They haven't asked members and fellows. And um, there's a huge number of us members and fellows who would like to be asked. We, had, we did ask the college whether we could be asked and polled, but they wouldn't. So... You know, so what, whether you see externally, whether the Royal College of Psychiatrists, Physicians, Obstetricians, whatever, are, are having a stance, that doesn't mean that actually all the psychiatrists, obstetricians, physicians think that way. They're being represented by those who represent us saying we think this way, but actually the people on the ground don't. Well, then what happens to medicine where you have voices like yours? I have other friends who are psychiatrists who also agree that there's something awry, yet the power to change seems to be beyond your grasp, institutionally speaking. I don't, I don't, I don't know any psychiatrist who doesn't, who doesn't agree with, 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 with reality. They were right, there are loads of psychiatrists, they, we're all, but, but we're being represented by, you know, um, rather sort of, you know, socially, um, social justice, adherent um, um, people who who, rep who who don't really represent the views of, of, of the people on the floor. 
but you have a niche in the US, especially, and I have to repeat, where there is no socialized medicine. You have the likes of Diane Ehrenzaft. Have you heard of her? Have you seen her video where she says that if a young child as young as two or three rips off their blue onesie, they're refusing to be a boy and they want to be a girl. Similarly, if a girl rips out her barrettes in her hair, she is identifying herself as a boy. It's hard to even say this without laughing. It's all there on YouTube. You can see it. She's got a niche practice there. Uh, and I want to have a practice. I want to have one of those practices that if you go to Susan's place, one of the many websites to quote unquote assist trans identified individuals, which I found around the time that you and I spoke in 2013, uh, it's replete with all this misogynist nonsense, plus a load of people who could be any number of non trans identified people who are making a living teaching you how to talk and walk like a woman. And I could do that, you know, because I don't even know what the hell that means, but I could still rip a load of people off by teaching them my walk and my talk. <laughs> it's called um, appropriation, isn't it? I mean, it's the gender equivalent of blackface, isn't it? Yes, it is. And that's what Janice Raymond said back in the day, who I interviewed years ago uh, after you and I spoke. I think we spoke the year later. She's the one that they hate the most. She wrote yeah. the trans. She wrote the, the response to this kind of what she viewed as a burgeoning culture, which people like myself, I never saw. I was a kid when she wrote her book anyways, The Transgender Empire. And so you had Sandy Stone, who wrote The Empire Strikes Back, which became the sort of foothold for transgender studies in the US. And I have to wonder why stereotype is allowed to persist, because you see people who are on the left, who are in fact black women saying, oh, it's not the same thing. I don't get a choice in being black. And I'm thinking, yeah, but there are probably, and scientifically speaking, you are much more a woman biologically than you are a race. The fact is, is that since Charles Darwin, race has been argued consistently, sex has not. There's something that scientists know, that humans are sexually dimorphic. So I've got friends who've got children, and they might, the children might be eight or nine in primary school, and the schools have, have been infected with um, LGBTQI awareness, diversity, training from Stonewall, or the likes, or mermaids. And um, the parents say that, you know, they're, 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 they're you know, tom girl, tomboy young girl was asked by a teacher, do you think you'd rather be a boy or and you know and one of my um my, my my polish builder found found um an exercise book of his daughter where she scribbled how she maybe she should be a boy because she likes football and um and you know maybe she should kill herself and it's like oh, what are they what are they doing to these children what you know i rather than allowing people to be gender non-conforming and subversive and creative you're trying you're you're actually trying to foster and fuel uh this cult of a of a gender disorder making people feel that they're wrong and my point is that nobody is wrong literally nobody's wrong there may be a problem in your relationship to your body there might be a body dysmorphia um, but the, but your body isn't wrong. The answer isn't changing your body. 
going back to your thing on LGBTQ, well, I, I I can't stand that term at all. I mean, I I I mean, I I, str I struggle enough with the term gay. I much prefer homosexual because I always said that if there's nothing wrong with heterosexual and bisexual, what's wrong with homosexual? And I always thought gay sounds a bit a bit sort of like I should be like we should be skipping through the fields, throwing flowers around. And as for LGBTQI, I mean, people aren't even referred to as being homosexual or gay now. They're just referred to as LGBTQI people. And, and even on the news, the news, people who should know better, they talk about LGBTQI people. I mean, it's just, it's just this assorted bag of everything. And, then, and they don't even have much in common in terms of LGBTQI people. There are some agendas, some are sexualities, some are intersex, I think, is that what the eye is? And, and uh, why don't you just throw in other ones like Catholics or Muslims or Buddhists or other people? Oh, you sound like me. I always say, where are the stevedores and the plumbers? <laughs> exactly. So I, not only is there an erasure of women, but there's an erasure of sexuality. And, and, and now everybody's just identifying themselves as queer. Men with beards who are married to women saying that they're queer. And what, what's what queer in what way? <laughs> what it is bandwagon, uh, you know. So I think LGBTQ everyone, doesn't it? Well, this is part of the problem. Is where again we go from David Reimer missing, uh, lacking a penis because of a botched circumcision to everyone's queer. And if you don't parrot what you should parrot, your persona non grata will contact your employer. We will troll you. The guy that hosted the Jam Jar event several years ago in Bristol lost his housing because of the harassment he faced. People are not allowed to have an opinion that's different. And it's it's quite remarkable that those folks are calling us right wing because I'll tell you something, I, I identify right wing ideology, far right wing ideology, this kind of Bible thumping nonsense from the 1980s in the US that I grew up with as being extremely located within the Christian intolerant ultra religious sphere. And this is a form of religiosity that I've been writing about for many years. Uh, six, seven years ago, I wrote a piece uh, on auto de fe during the Spanish Inquisition and how if you did not repeat a certain mantra, yes, you were put through the trial of water and fire and so forth. You did not have the option to desist from ideology then. And somehow here we are back in the Middle Ages. This the new religion with the new, because uh, I, I, I was criticized by activists because I, I, used, I coined the term trans-terrorist. And I, I don't use the term lightly. By trans-terrorist, I mean the, I don't mean trans-activist because an activist might shout on the street with a placard. The trans-terrorist is one who wants to destroy your life. They want to cancel your career, preferably you end up dead, homeless, jobless. So they are like this suicide bomber. So they're, they're, their aim is to instill terror and destroy. And it comes back to the autistic meltdown. The autistic meltdown, they just want to destroy, destroy, kill, kill, kill. So you get this autistic meltdown as an adult where I'll oh, destroy nuclear, nuclear, destroy, angry attack. And um, what can we do? We will destroy the house, destroy their job, destroy their relationship, destroy everything about kill, kill, kill. And that's that's the manifestation of the autistic meltdown is to try and ruin someone and kill them off. And this is what we see all the time. And I've seen I've met so many people whose lives have been ruined, cancelled, can't work again, can't earn any money. And these are seen as triumphs by the gender ideologists because the trans terrorists are this, this is their, their mission. There's so many things online as to how to 
how to ruin the life of a turf or how to or on a hit list and how to find them and what to do to them and awful awful things i found and and, and it's and it's a bit like um considering the trans terrorists as being representative of anyone with gender dysphoria is a bit like saying well let's invite isis to discuss islam or something you know they're 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 who've completely lost the plot and are dangerous um and they are terrorists but they but, but because anything that's termed trans is like a protected species where you can't possibly do anything about it and they have to sort of have police escorts and, and make sure they're all right because it's trans um they're, they're a bit like ISIS, but with a sort of VIP pass. Yes, and they get a pass from the media because the media rarely... There was a recent event where they tried to make out as if the feminists were equally as violent as the trans activists. Not at all the case. The only threats were coming from one side, and it wasn't of the part holding the uteruses. Again, with the uterus holder, vagina haver, menstruator, you're not seeing men being called by cancer society in the uk being called front noodlers you're not seeing men being reduced to their parts and it's quite telling the misogyny of this movement and let's not even begin to discuss the detrimental effects of taking artificial hormones when i was doing a piece on sports years ago i dealt with a specialist in the us a cardiac specialist who turned me on to a report that was published in the 1970s of a cross-sex hormone study of men who were being given estrogen and what this did to their bodies. And the mortality rate from that was astounding. In fact, I'm quite shocked that medical practitioners in this field have not written more and spoken up against these kinds of methods. Because at the end of the day, as this is what I ask you where is the proof in the pudding that any of this from john money to the present works and in fact where is proof of quality of life that isn't coming from the subject him or herself what i've seen since the 90s is a burgeoning process of societal transformation what i called in my recent piece conversion therapy of the masses where we are expected to say isn't he brave isn't she brave no one is really brave for getting a double mastectomy when in fact, and I'm thinking of Ellen Page here, this woman looks like an extremely depressed human. She needs mental health care. She needs love and support, all the things that we all need. But how is it that this direct route to having certain body parts removed, artificial hormones that put the male and the female subject at risk of heightened risks of cardiac illnesses and disease, cancers, among other issues, even blood pressure. Why is that not getting front page? How is it that this kind of, it seems like a, a form of masochism being celebrated. When I saw a few clips of the Jazz Jennings show, it made me sick to my stomach. I kept thinking this boy is not gonna make it to his 30th birthday. Mm, yeah. I mean, to, so to answer you, there is no evidence and there, the idea that there's false evidence so 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 that there's all this nonsense that's blurted out and repeated like there's a less than one percent regret rate this is nonsense there's no follow-up studies at least in the uk anyway so there's no follow-up studies but if you repeat a non-fact enough people will believe it's a fact so they're always saying that the two non-facts are um there's a less than one percent um regret rate and 
there's a very high um, suicide rate if they don't physically transition. That's another lie. There's no evidence for that either. So, but these two lies are repeated again and again and again and again, and the, pu the public believe it. So you, you've replaced the absence of actual data with non-data, which is repeated ad nauseum, which then, you know, becomes known. And in terms of the, when I asked a gender clinic once, why don't you follow anyone up? And they said, well, because we give them what they want. They're like butterflies being released into the world. I thought, okay. Um, but you know, the reality is if you have like an ingrowing toenail operation, there'll probably be a million studies around the world showing the evidence for whatever intervention you've had, but there are no follow-up studies. There's no evidence for gender assignment, apart from like you said, the John Money, the, the John Hopkins one, which led to them shutting the unit down. So the, the Start clinic was uh, criticized for not doing any outcome data on their uh, children. So I rather helpfully contacted the Tavistock. Uh, I contacted the chief executive, Paul Jenkins. I've probably contacted him about 10 times now um, via letter saying, um, basically the good news is that um, myself and my research team at University of New South Wales, Australia have spent a while creating an outcome measuring tool for adults, which has now been um, uh, also, uh, there's a child adolescent version. And these, are, this, these have been piloted, they've been shown to be valid and reliable, they're published and they're in use in, in Australia. And it's a very far, quick five minute free to use tool, doesn't involve any costs, it's free to use, and it'll allow you data. And, and the data it'll give you is, it'll detect gender dysphoria and detect change in terms of whether you're less dysphoric, less unhappy after whatever intervention you've had, whether it's surgical, hormonal, psychotherapeutic, whatever, because the aim is people to be happy with their gender. So it just measures how unhappy or happy you're with your gender. It doesn't measure how male or female you are because that's, that's a ridiculous construct. It just measures how happy or unhappy you are with your state of gender. So you could be genderqueer, trans, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. So it's a modern, it's relevant, it's valid, it's reliable, it's cheap, but it's free, it's free and it's accessible. So I said, look, the tool is here, you don't have to invent the wheel, would you like to use this tool? And he has never ever responded to me. So it's unbelievable that the Tavistock, whose main criticism is you're not collecting data, someone comes along and says, here's a tool, I've invented it for you, we've done years of work into this, it exists, use it if you want. They don't even bother responding. They don't say, oh, thank you for contacting us. Oh, that's interesting, we'd like to, to meet you. So, nothing. And I thought, what, what, why is this head in the sand approach? Why would you, if you're the chief executive of, of an NHS trust who's been severely criticised uh, at a high court level for for not producing data, then someone offers you a, a data measuring, valid, reliable tool, why would you not respond? So that's why there's no, there's no data, because even when someone is offering on a plate a way of collecting data, there's still a refusal to. Well, I see this also as a larger problem of clientelism. And even though the UK has a socialized medical system, I saw this as soon as university fees were introduced that there is this notion that once people have to pay for something, that there has to be a response from the system. Hence, when I was teaching at Goldsmiths, there were reviews, right? We got reviews. All types of promotion are based on that. When I was at the University of Montreal, one of my colleagues said to me, just don't give them too much work and you'll get great reviews and you'll get tenure. That was my advice given to me. And I'm thinking, well, 
is there something going on here? Because I mentioned capitalism earlier. We saw that within the gay community in the 90s, when I even first moved to New York in the 80s, I saw how gay pride was quickly being promoted as a way to sell radio stations, Broadway shows, etc. And as AIDS winded down in terms of pre-protease inhibitors and became a more livable disease, then the T stepped in and we saw more drag queens, but then it wasn't drag queens, it was queer gender icons, et cetera, et cetera. And here we are today with, I'm cis, they're the real woman. Now, these are remarkable changes in a very short period of time, historically speaking, because I notice that what has happened has been just another wash and rinse of misogyny. I don't believe that anyone really cares about, you know, Laverne Cox being a black man who's transitioned. I think that these are convenient poster children that they hold up, just like Elliot Page, a convenient poster child. But at the end of the day, we have no data to show that it, I'm an anthropologist. What in the hell is gender? How can you treat a social construct? This is a problem. Now, obviously you do because as a psychiatrist, you're dealing with a lot of people's imaginary self-images. I could come to you and say that I'm the king of Bavaria and you have to deal with two problems, that Bavaria no longer exists as a nation and that, you know, I'm not a king. So how do we deal with delusion in a world where now we're seeing even psychologists coming forth saying, well, we need to decriminalize pedophilia and just understand that this is another facet of human sexuality. Sure. I mean, that, the, 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 it's the way we're going. And but the, when I talk to medical students, and if I, if I, you know, if I proceed talking about gender bias, uh, uh, you know, I, I might look at this sort of young, white, young girl and say, if you believed you were a 90-year-old male Eskimo, would you be? And she's going, yeah. Yeah, I would, I, yeah, I, yeah, and and the idea that you can be anything you want to, and these are medical students. You know, they they they've got in with with high classes of you know science, you know, grades, and the, the, they actually believe now that if you believe something, then you are something. They've actually been taught to believe that. So, so you get a bunch of scientists at an early age, you corrupt their minds into a new ideology, and that's the recipe for you know living in the land of make-believe so this the, the trumping of reality by fantasy is something that we're seeing increasingly those who retain a critical mindset who are able to think critically are you know considered dodos and old-fashioned but there's an, there's enough of us to to be able to sort of uphold reality but it's but that's that's the that's the challenge. It's the new religion with, which has its own terrorists, which has um, its, its its ways of thinking and beliefs, where you know in in twenty years time, thirty years time, we'll look back and the the breast binding will be will be seen just as uh, with just the same concern as we we look at the people who iron their breasts in other parts of the world. And the people that bind bound feet in China, you know, in 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 the olden days, will will say, what what were we doing? Encouraging girls to bind their breasts, and and you'll have a you'll have a generation of castrated adults who were victims of the of of the cult ideological thinking. 
Um, that's, that's, the, that's the future. Yes, except one difference and very good comparisons. A lot of people, in fact, have made comparisons to that and other things saying, how is it that we're accepting this as normal? But in the press binding situation, you have a lot of purity posturing amongst parents. And uh, I remember years ago, around 2014 or so, hearing an interview with a doctor who said that oftentimes there's this kind of knock-on effect of parents activating their own self-esteem through their children. And I kept thinking about this over the years. And I was wondering about this because at least, okay, breast ironing, we can look at it and go, ouch, and that's horrific. The same thing with foot binding. You still had a lot of people that said no to that, that that was wrong, because these were also specific demographics, specific socioeconomic classes. We are seeing transgender identity often being focused within a certain kind of elite class, hence Warren Beatty's daughter. You've got a lot of people going to Northeastern prep schools in the U.S. coming out as the opposite, quote unquote, gender. There seems to be a very class related issue in common with who is identifying and how they are being trained. And but for teenagers, I mean, I've said this a number of times, I, I think the another thing that we're overly medicalizing is a youth subculture. So I've I've I'm known for saying that um rapid onset gender dysphoria in kids is actually goth mark five. And you and the what earth am I talking about? Well, you know, youth subculture prior to the advent of social media was always music based. So I was, you know, you had punks, I was a post-punk goth, you had the, you had the sort of neuromantics, you had, and it was all what music you're into and your identity was your music and you'd follow your favorite band and you'd cover your, your lever arch file at school with band stuff. And it was all about the music and the band. And I remember when Jenny came to school one day, she had massive back combed hair and lots of eyeliner. I was like, oh my God, you're so cool. What, what is this? She said, I'm a goth. And, and within, within a week, we, most of the school were goths. And I then, my hair went vertical and I had a <laughs> vertical seven inch upward. Um, and, um, and, you know, so, and then a friend of mine who works in the music industry quite accurately said that the advent of social media was the death knell for music influenced youth subculture because rather than your, your identity, like being a goth, was all about listening to the cure and having this sort of appearance and blah, blah, blah. It became your social media profile. So you became obsessed with how many likes you had or, what, or who was following you. And so the focus was away from music and then on your social media thing. And then, so if we look at the trajectory of, 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 of goth, I talk about this because I, I, I used to be one. So, you know, Mark One goths were post-punk. So they were like, you know, listen to Bauhaus and they were quite sort of, uh, sort of quite scary looking. And then, you know, Mark II was, they're a bit happier. The Cure came along, they're a bit more bouncy. Mark III were sort of, they'd, they'd embraced the idea of wearing things that were colourful, they were shoegazing, they were listening to Cardio Twins and 4AD and, you know. And then Mark IV was post-social media and they were more emo. So they'd start self-harming and stuff because they all learned about it online and they're all doing that. And then Mark V is rapid onto gender dysphoria. So, so the Mark V goth is the person who goes to school and someone's got their hair all over the place and say, what are you? I'm non-binary. Oh, yeah, I'm non-binary. It's the new goth. So when, when you have a sudden ups, upsurge of people going, I'm non-binary, I'm trans in a school, and, and the whole school, it's just a subculture. They're being cool. 
you know, non-binary is the new cool subculture to be if you're a kid, but we've, we've medicalized it. You know, when, when I became a goth, my parents, who, whose only interest was whether or not I'd get into medical school, um, they, they they turned a blind eye and they go, oh, yeah, okay, fine. And then my mother said once, um, are all the boys wearing red lipstick at three o'clock in the afternoon? And it was such a complex question. Not, not are all the boys wearing lipstick, but are they wearing red lipstick at three o'clock in the afternoon? It's like, it's like the colour and the timing were really important. Um, but they didn't really mind and they used to like dye my hair and help me. They knew it was a phase I'd grow out with and, and lo and behold, I now don't look like that at all. Um, um, and but rather than them sending me to a goth clinic where I'd, I'd get my lips tattooed purple and my, you know, hair permanently vertical, um, they just sort of let me get on with it and it was a phase I get over it. Now, as soon as someone says, "Oh, I'm non-binary and trans," you put them on this trajectory of castrating hormones, other hormones, and chopping bits off them. Whereas they're just being a goth. You know, <laughs> you know the, so there's a medicalization of what essentially is a subculture for the rapid onset gender dysphoria. You know, if you've got someone who's 17 or 18, they suddenly decide that then they now want to be trans. It's, it, it's, is it a medical condition or, the, or is it that just being cool? Well, this is the larger question for the medical community to discuss. And I, I really feel strongly as that we need to have an open investigation into all of it, not just of the Tavistock, but the whole kit and caboodle. Because I feel that what we are witnessing today is, now I had Lisa Littman on the show, and she you know, was the person who coined rapid onset gender dysphoria, but I think we are seeing a full-blown case of that, not just on youth, across all age groups of contagion. There's a social contagion here, and it's very linked to people's isolation, atomization, stuck at home behind their computers. It's, there's no coincidence here as to what's happening. We're seeing it. Why has the NHFs not commanded many studies on this? And there should be sociological and anthropological studies in tandem with medical studies. Why is there, as you mentioned, the Tavistock should be having to answer to not having done the kind of follow-up, but also why are they not taking up yours and others? There should be many ways that they are now evaluating their former patients and current patients. And why is it that children are being blocked puberty? I mean, these are hugely ethical questions that must be answered mm. in a very responsible way because what we've seen so far, and I've had many of your colleagues from the Tavistock on the show, where they were the whistleblowers. You know, now uh, they're heroes, but what I'm not seeing is a follow through right now. Is the Tavistock still in full operation? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not with them anymore, so I, I don't know. I think they're continuing. But, but when I was there, because I left there in 2012, when I left there, there were a very small um, carbuncle of the organisation which would otherwise distance itself from it. But would sort of humour it and let it let it exist, and it would borrow rooms here and there. Um, but then, since then, in the ten years that's followed, because the ninety nine percent of the rest of the Tavistock had dwindling referrals because you know it was it was done by locally by by local hospitals, then it had a huge in, increase in the in the in the GID stuff. So it saw the GIDs as this as this, as this lifeline. So whereas 99% of all the people who worked at the Tavistock 
thought it was a bit strange they didn't want anything to do with kids it sort of became like this sort of this this cancer which took over the whole organization which is now totally captured and the and the and the the true psychoanalytic core of the Tavisok um has has all, all all but gone and been replaced by the tumor which has taken over i went to the, to the medical director in 2004 and sat down and said how how concerned I was about GIDS, and he may as well have put his hand over his ears and smiled and patronisingly and showed me the door. But how is it then, since the 1950s, this idea that one can have sex, have a sex change, as it was called back uh, in the 60s and 70s, now it's gender, but now we've got people self-identifying as nine... I think we should go back rather than uh, i think i think it's i think it's more uh useful to talk about sex changes than changing one's gender because because if you're operating then you can't operate on gender obviously but this is the lie that's being told and you've got clinicians even in, in the uk mm. i'm afraid to say who buy into this because that's how they make their living there's so few of them in the uk but they but but they you know, a, a proportion of the proportion of clinicians who work with with gender, doing physical treatments for gender, versus all clinicians in the UK is minuscule. True. So most of them they represent most of, of clinicians. They represent a very small portion, small number of people who work in that field. Then how do we address this though? Where you see in countries like the US, where this is, whoa, the the shark jumped so many times, we've lost count. And you have the privatized clinics, you have all these doctors making loads of money because they can. If I went to a doctor and said, I would like to have a donkey face, well, there would be very few ethical boundaries for them to have to obey. Now, how do we address this? Since, as you mentioned earlier, there are how many hundreds or thousands of genders? It's way beyond one or two. People are going to have an idea, a fiction, implanted into their body or put onto their body. How does a doctor treat someone who's non-binary when, as you just pointed out, goth, the, the cocteau twins, flock of seagulls, growing up in the 70s and 80s, I saw very few pop stars who looked like men who were male or very few who looked like women who were female. Annie Lennox, I would have been transitioned as, I like playing street hockey. <laughs> but I look at photos of me when I was when I was uh, 19, I looked like a bad transvestite. And I actually remember going on holiday to Istanbul once I was chased down the street because I think they thought I was from. I was wearing rose printed leggings and had long orange hair. Um, but it wasn't about gender, it was just about being subversive and being post-punk. And, you know, look at Boy George. Boy George never said that he was a woman, but, but you know, it was all about sort of getting you to question and be confused. Whereas the, the, the trans person, rather than allowing you to be intrigued and question and, and creative and subversive, says, you will see me as this. Even if you don't see me as this, you will see me as this. Rather than allowing the person to, to you know, challenge what you 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 think of being male or female no it's very autistic it's very i'm doing this you will see me as this no question about it it's the opposite of what we try to do in sort of um you know neuromanticism neuromantics or anything like that yet having the information in its hand the nhs still has policies that will not protect single-sex wards i mean this is the phenomenal part of it all and then you get even again people within the nhs who say well that's bigoted to claim that men would just 
claim to be trans just to get into a woman's ward when we know, in fact, that this is the case. There, in fact, in the prison system in the UK, when Fair Play for Women started to investigate, the head of the prison system said, well, we have noticed an uptick of men claiming to be women so that they can get into women's prisons. So the idea that men are somehow always going to be okay just because they claim womanhood is completely being disavowed by, by the very agency that has the information to show that one is not actually changing anything. Uh, the body might change, plastic surgery might give one the appearance of certain types of genitalia, but you can't surgery away one's demographic group. And so, as you noticed on Twitter, and we follow a lot of the same people, that the concern of feminist groups for safety of women in prisons, in changing rooms, in hospitals, this has become as contentious as Leah Thomas winning a woman's medal. I'm very pleased that we've had the arrival of what would be described as the transracial people. So, you know, I don't know whether you follow Ollie London, who formerly known as Adam from Kent, who decided that in his 20s that he wanted to be trans-Korean. So he's had a litany of, of uh, and this is all what I, what, I, what I gather from his Twitter feed, um, um, and he, he posts quite a lot, and he's, and he's had several um, operations to make him look Korean, and he says, I'm now Korean, and uh, my pronouns are K-O-R slash E-A-N, which <laughs> doesn't really understand what a pronoun is, but, um, and, um, and there's all these Korean people in his comments saying, what are you doing? You've never even been to Korea. You can't just like, that's so racist, having your eyes done and then saying, but, but you know, he has chosen a variable that pertains to him that he's not happy with. He surgically altered it to match his identity that he believes. There's no different from gender, but because it's race and not gender, the gender people can't see it. They go, oh, that's ridiculous, or nothing like that. Well, no, it's somebody choosing to change surgically a variable, whether it's your race, whether it's your, your sex, whether it's your, you know, the, so it's no different, but it's it's allowing a spotlight on, um, al well, allowing inviting people to question something that they felt they couldn't question, because of course there is no difference. There is no difference between changing your race or changing your sex, surgically. It's you know if so he he so what what is what is the difference between someone who's never set foot in Korea, uh, doesn't have Korean um, uh, parents and uh, or, or, or anything genetically Korean, changing his face and saying, well, now I'm Korean. What's the difference between that and then someone saying, well, actually, no, I'm now a woman or a man. There isn't really a difference, is there? Rachel Dolezal got such pushback when she claimed to be black, right? And that wasn't taken seriously for a New York second. Yet men who display the most misogynist of frippery the most sexist language to refer to themselves. The other day in a women's group, someone was laughing at these men who use the word panties, something that we don't run around calling our underwear panties. I know in the UK, some people will say knickers, whatever, but we had a long discussion in the group of who uses what words. This kind of degenerative language where we are being brought into their fantasy frame of mirroring them. And this is a problem I have as a woman. When I see this kind of language out there, I'm thinking, no woman talks like this. Just like after the piece that I interviewed you for came out, 
I received over a hundred death and rape threats. So did my three-month-old daughter at the time. Well, she was almost six then. We had to leave the UK for several months. This is not what women do. Women, when they disagree with me, don't send me death and rape threats. Now, most men don't either, but we know that the demographic that tends to do certain kinds of things <laughs> is, is not the, that is a male demographic. So I have a real problem with the way in which all of this has been represented by the pink news of the world, even the Guardian, the Guardian sponsored to a quarter of a million dollars to run pieces about gender identity. The public has been schooled. GLAAD in the US has a representative that goes out to Hollywood and inform screenwriters, producers, of the need to have trans characters. So we saw them. We saw them in every TV show popping up. There seems to be a problem where what used to be considered a mental disorder, even though I know this will offend some people who identify as transgender, but that is now being couched as a lifestyle choice. Being trans, it's the new midlife crisis for many men. Post-career choice. So, so, so uh, teenagers at school, and they, they talk to me about this. They say, well, now that I can, you know, I was thinking about what it is to be a man or a woman. If I could choose, well, now that you, now that you can choose, um, I might choose to be a woman because, or a man because. And it's almost like they've had some sort of careers teacher that, that rather than, you know, do you study this? Do you study this? Do you become this job or this job? Well, would you like to continue as a man? Would you like to be a woman? And these are the options available. This is what comes with each package. And they talk about it as if it, the, they have this choice now, um, which is quite odd.